0: Let's sit. Let's learn. Let's evolve. Let's talk. No more whispering in our mind. Today you're listening to Let's Talk Black Knowing, a show that honors the intellectual sovereignty of black fellows and amplifies the power of black knowledge. And in this, the 20th year of Let's Talk, this is your host, Professor Chelsea Wattigo and Dr. David Sin
1: joining Let's Talk Black Knowing. This is Chelsea Wadigo and I'm joined with my host as usual, Dr. David the Settler-Singh.
0: Good morning, How everyone. How are you going, David? I'm not too bad, thank you very much, this fine this fine Monday morning.
1: Now, before we get into it, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which we're recording from this morning and the land in which you're listening from wherever that may be. Now, Monday's Let's Talk uh, is Let's Talk Black Knowing. And What we hope to do, um, much of this year is to bring, uh, some of our favorite black thinkers, Mm -hmm. uh, in conversation, uh, wherever they reside too, uh, in the academy and outside our, our artists, our activists, um, all kinds of black knowing. And I'm really excited to, for our guests we've got on today, you know, at Crumber Institute, we talk about the power of black knowing and what's really driven our research agenda is, the belief that there is justice in black knowing Mm. may not be justice in the legal system, but there's justice in black knowing. And so, you know, we um, prioritize knowledge production, which is courageous in the pursuit of justice grounded in truth telling and of service to indigenous and black resistance struggles locally and globally. And it's for that reason, (laughs) our guest today is associate professor of criminal law and
2: criminology Dr. Amanda Porter, thank you for joining us today. I'm so flattered. There's are such <laughs> nice words and so much coming from you too.
1: <laughs> now, Amanda, for our listeners, and as is tradition, um, can you
2: uh, introduce yourself um, to our listeners? Yep. Yep. So my name's Amanda Porter. For those who don't know me, I'm of UN descent through my mom's family, and I'm currently zooming in from uh, Rondri Woi Wurrung, uh, Boon Wurrung country and the Kulin nation and want to pay my respects to elders here past and present and surrounding traditional owners as well. Um, yeah but I grew up on, uh, my dad is non-indigenous and he's a high school teacher so I grew up kind of all over the place but largely on Rudri Wail and, and uh, Bunjalung Yagel country and um, I grew up in a small township that not many people would have heard of called Warren Um, And it was really racially segregated town even um, at the time I was growing up. And um, on the uh, white side of town where I went to school um, Mm. and where I worked as a checkout chick, I never saw the police at all. Um, And on the black side of town, 49 Garden Avenue, where I lived, um, the police, um, you'd see the police up to a dozen times a day. Mm. So I've always Mm. been interested in the ways in which different uh, geographical regions and different populations are policed differently, and why? And even now um, that I live in, as I said, in in Nam in Melbourne, um, and I'm a middle class professor working for middle class associate professor working for a, a white corporation, um, I still um, I still very um, very much see that see those things. Even you know, for example. Um, in the gentrified suburb of Fitzroy, um, you'll mm. see um, white families having picnic and breaking curfew during the Melbourne's really strict lockdown period, and you just don't see the police at all. Um, so I've, I guess um, so even w- with that gentrification, um, still uh, I've always been interested in, in those questions. And I um, study and, sorry, I teach and research uh, police accountability law and race discrimination law um, at, at the university. That's
1: mm. me in a nutshell. Mm. Check
2: out chick to associate professor. I love the mm.
1: way in which we bring our, <laughs> uh, you know, embodied knowledge to these places. And it's the same thing. It's, you know, it maybe a different um, institution that we're laboring in, but the same eyes are seeing the same shit really. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Um, now can I ask you what, what made you pursue a career in academia?
2: Like, how did you get um, in there? Yeah, that's a really good question. As I said, I've always been interested in those questions, like why different populations and different geographical areas are policed differently and why. And I guess when I was um, studying some of the major cases that um, were on the television and that were not happening, not so far from where I was living was, for example, the death of mr. Gundy, mm. who was the 29 year old um, father of one who was shot in his, um, in, his in his home in his mm. family home during an illegal um, illegal raid by this special the SWAS team, the special weapons and operations team now the, the tactical um, the TRG um, but it was an illegal um, raid. And, um, and, and also while I was studying, there was the death of um, deaths in, in high profile deaths in Palm Island and, and in mm. Redfern, which was not very far from only just down the road from where I was studying. So I've always been. Um, so, so they really impacted um, my, my, my studying and my learning. But I was always interested in understanding what it meant when, um, for example, police have powers, but what it means when police overstep those powers, what what I was interested in, you know, I guess in what an, an illegal raid was and what the consequences are, were for when police act beyond their powers, in when they act unlawfully or improperly. But I guess importantly, um, I was interested not just out of a sense of intellectual curiosity but also wanting to make um, impact change and mm. to bring about accountability um, for um, those um, improper and unlawful um police actions um but i guess i'd say also that um i'm a recovering academic mm-hmm. um in, in the sense that um i've Can been... i join the the self help <laughs> group? <laughs> um in that i i've kind of been teaching and researching criminology and 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 law for about 15 years now but i there's a lot about academia that i just detest and mm. i've quit mm. academia a, f- a few times and um and i've generally speaking learnt more um outside of academia than when i've been kind of marinated inside it mm. um and um i guess yeah um I'm, yeah hopefully we can talk about some of these times that i've quit over the course of of, of this yarn
0: mm. well i mean at the university the academy is effectively you know a colonial institution amanda what is it that mm. you've detested about the academy um and how sympathetic has it been to your research interest particularly police accountability, um, police malpractice?
2: Yeah, well, I guess that, right. like, I should say that the, the institution that I currently work for is the University of Melbourne right. and I do see the university as a, I guess, with my criminology hat on, I can't help but see the the university as a crime scene, hey. uh, especially especially the university that I work for. And so to answer your question, they're mm. not so sympathetic to my view on things, but right. um, I, I say I don't say that lightly. The University mm. of Melbourne... Um, has a collection of around 1,800 unrepatriated ancestral remains. Now, that's more than any other university or higher education institution that I've ever worked for. And I should say that not every institution has been like that. I've had some really um, positive experiences at working at UTS for um, at, uh, through at Jambana Indigenous Institute mm. of um, Education and Learning under Larissa Brent's direction, mm. and I've had some positive experiences here and there, but the University of Melbourne has um, repatriated zero um, from its massive collection. And I'm not, as far as I'm aware, it's the largest collection of any higher education institution in Australia. Um, It also has contracts with Lockheed Martin. um, 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 And I I think um, how sympathetic the university is to supporting my research, I I think, it's fair to say that they're not, um, uh, uh, yeah, not not very, and um, uh, they keep close. To, yeah, I, I don't know how else to answer that other than no, that. David knows the answer to this um, not, question. Uh, like, He's I, making I, out, except that, except that they, um, I'm I'm not universally loved. I guess we'll just put it that way. And I guess the to to answer the you know my own question about the times I've quit university, the the second the, the second time I quit, and the real big time I quit, I was um, I just. Um, received a really big grant that I was excited about and um, I'd landed a a, a a real posh job at UNSW, but I quit everything at that time because um, I was working on a, as an editor as a, sorry as an editor for the um, Australian and New Zealand Journal of Criminology. Mm. And I'd worked on that board for about um, you know uh, two, two to three years as it's a volunteer position and as part of that role you oversee, the research that comes out from that journal and I was just I felt so ashamed by um, the material that was this coming out just in terms of the deficit discourses mm-hmm. not only of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people but it's also the research that was being produced was elitist it was ableist um, it was ageist it was you know um, projected um, I would say prejudicial thinking about over-offending on for young people, Mm. um, as, as well as for all sorts of other racialized and minoritized populations. And I just felt so ashamed by what was being published, um, that I quit that particular role and I quit my job and, um, um, uh, Work, had had a break and and worked on a campaign to stop the construction um of a of a, of a, a mega prison on yagel Bunjalung country where 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 I was living at the time.
1: Mm-hmm. wow um, look I, mean, I you know we've had the good fortune of um, knowing you as a colleague as well, working on work that often sat outside of our day jobs though was deeply connected to it uh, from you know, the, the campaign against criminalising coercive control um, yes. to coronal inquests of um, Black Deaths in custody. And, you know, often that work, it's not what we get paid to do when we go to work. It's the mm-hmm. stuff yeah. that happens outside of and around it. And um, I'm, you know, really glad to have you on the show and have some of these yarns uh, because we've, we kind of talk about them, um, you know, in... Uh, private spaces, but mm. I think yes. for blackfellas thinking about um, the academy and intellectual work, I think it's important that we have some of these conversations for others to think about. Because I know when I um, first did a PhD, I wasn't thinking about an academic career and I didn't really have a sense of, strong sense of myself of the importance of intellectual work. Mm. And I, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with academic institutions. Yep. Uh, I love... The, the little bit of this thing called academic freedom, knowing that it's not, we're not fully granted it mm. in the way others are, yes. but as opposed to working for a you know state government or in other organisations, we can get away with a little bit more because mm. it's our research. There's an evidence base. It's not just us, you know, throwing ideas out there. Mm. It's actually informed by our research and stuff, um, but also... Th- I mean, the hate part of it is, and I, I've talked about this before. When um, I was sort of entering into an academic institution, and seeing my ex-husband work as a police officer, I could readily see the violence of that institution that he wanted to yeah. sort of challenge and change by his presence. And I remember feeling sorry for him to have to go to work each day in that in that place. And I'd come to realize that I was going to work in the same place. Absolutely. And yep. people don't think of academic institutions as violent or perhaps think that these academics are being precious, that it's, um, you mm-hmm. know, you, you're not in the heart of it. But there's something about the academy, I don't know, and I'm probably going to have the words to describe it, but there's something about, and I see it with, you know, postgrads and students coming to academic institutions thinking that it's a place of enlightenment, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an mm. educated place. So therefore racism doesn't mm. exist there. Yeah. Um, because we know better, we're a better mm. kind of people. You know, that's that, that people have this idea that somehow academics, mm. um, uh, somehow, yeah, and when you work in there, you, you realize that the, this is the factory that r- makes rational, mm. makes natural mm. racial violence. And, and you know, for a lot of us that are engaged in, uh, in scholarship of service to our people it can be a really challenging position to occupy when you discover whether you're going to be a part of it or whether you're going to contest it.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's even more challenging when you have your own peers, your own mob who are, you know, ridiculing you for wanting to reject that racial violence. Mm. Um, Yeah. Because coming through in terms of like the mentorship I had from senior Indigenous academics, it wasn't to do the kind of work that I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. In fact, there was always this insistence, you know, don't comment on social media, wear the blazer and the flat shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, don't be controversial. Um, be part of the save the native kind of, um, enterprise. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, I've had to Mm -hmm. find a way to exist in these spaces of work that I believed in that aligned with my values and, um, yeah, and then find mm. like-minded people.
2: Yeah, and uh, there's so much you say in that in the love-hate relationship that I relate to so strongly, and especially what you were saying about your partner going to work for the police and how how much you know how easier it is to identify and locate racism when it's taking place physically, but mm. that there's the similar, um, it, it's exactly the same in academia. If anything, um, it's. Uh, so much difficult to, so much more difficult to, to, to identify and locate because it's epistemic, because yep. it's, um, which is just a pretentious way of saying that it's a, a, a ra- racism in, in terms of ideas and ideology. And that's so rife in the disciplines that I work in, um, especially criminology, um, but also policing studies and also law. I mean, and it's in every
1: discipline. It's in health, in the ones yeah. that claim to be benevolent. Um, it, it's, it's everywhere, the, uh, this idea that, um, we produce knowledge that reinforces the idea that we are to blame for the, um, racialized disparities we experience mm-hmm. anywhere and everywhere. That if we just fix the black people, yeah. uh, their dysfunctional behaviors, mm-hmm. their criminogenic behaviors, all of these things, um, then yeah. <laughs> the other thing I've, I've, I've grappled with a little bit is the anti-intellectualism at times within our own community. Mm-hmm. And, and look, I don't think that <laughs> academics going to save the day, honestly, because yeah. so many academics have let us down and being complicit in the violence. But, you know, when we set up Institute for collaborative race research, where we had to find a way to be as academics outside of, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. the academic yeah. institutions, mm-hmm. for me, you know, I always say there's, there's, the nerds have a role to play on the front line, that there is important intellectual work that we need to be undertaking. And that's not the that exclusive domain of those with a PhD, to mm. be clear. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, but, so I grappled with that. Um, there are those that dismiss intellectual work as being a bit frivolous or, you know, doesn't make a material difference or it's not doing the hard work, the real labour kind of thing. Um, and, 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 I I I, think- and,
0: and yet, when I've seen the power of, I mean, you're both your respective intellects, Put to work in the cause of a particular case, for instance, a coronal inquest, um, I've never s- seen anything like it. It's as powerful as standing on a front line, literally, or standing outside a coronial court. Do you ever see yourself in those terms? or?
2: I, I love the expression nerds on the front line. Um, <laughs> I, I, really, I really love it. And there's so much that I've got from your own work, um, both, both of your work, um, writing and, and thinking in this space. Um, especially um, your own words, um, Chelsea, about um, how just, just to quote from um, Another Day in the Col- Colony, I care little about sustaining uh, the institution institutions that exist to insist on our non-existence. I'm interested in what we might take from the academy and how I might rest some of that academic freedom afforded yeah. to the scholar to speak to each other. And I think that, to me, I, I, think, I do think about myself as being a, a nerd on the front line, but yep. also just... Um, as someone who kind of take, I, I'm kind of proud that I don't belong in the kind of colonial um, corporation that is the the crime scene of the university. Um, and I see there's being like great responsibility in holding those institutions to account and holding the shock jocks and the other um, moral entrepreneurs that are speaking in the radio and that are using this racist research um, in manipulative ways in, in holding those um people to account and I think they've even though it, it's been a like a, a, a slow journey like learning tactics and strategies on this front line I do see them as but these as being good strategies for, for doing the work that um, um, I think well the way I see it now um, is that um you know Andrew being a, a, attacked by Andrew Bolt or Corey Bernardi mm. um that was pretty terrifying when it happened um at first but um, at least on the positive side, now I know that I don't have to become um, too worried about being um, marinated in these institutions because I have an, an, a barometer mm. um, in the form of these um, shock jocks and so on, and it's it's um, um, I know that I'm on the right track if if I'm. Um, if I've struck a nerve um, in Corey Bernardi, for example. Um, and also, another good strategy is, is also that the number of complaints that I receive from, <laughs> from academics as well, like which again was kind of terrifying when I went through it for the first time, mm. and the second time, and the third time, and then the fourth time. But I've started to see it as a similarly a badge of honour, and as something that to know that I've struck a nerve. Um, this is just like an, an everyday. Um, and and it's, you know, we talk about you know, when you
1: go through, um, academic promotion rounds and we go for research grants, we're forced to tell a story about research impact and, Mm. you know, um, similar for me, I've turned the stuff that comes back at me as evidence of my research impact, that it's doing something. Um, yep. in non-traditional, uh, means, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you're having an impact when, you know, um, state governments and, and their agents have to have special meetings to work at what to do with your work and what to do exactly. with what you've said exactly. on radio or a mm. criminal inquest, you know, that, um, and that editorial, um, committees are having meetings of Um, what to do with your work because it's going to change, disrupt something. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and that was the thing, like uh, coming through, um, I think I did my PhD around 2007 or 2009, somewhere that was still very early on where there was this sort of, you know, mob were coming into Mm -hmm. PhDs and stuff and I was in health, so it was very, even more conservative. And there wasn't this sense that we were doing intellectual work for a political and legal purpose. Um. I managed Mm. to find a way to exist in the academy to be able to do that work in spite of the resistance Mm. against it, including Indigenous leaders in the academy who enforced those rules, that we were just to be, what being a good scholar meant being like a white scholar um, and that pretending that we're apolitical and objective and we'll just bring in evidence base and that we'll divorce from the struggles in which Mm. got us these positions in the first place. You know, the indigenizing mm. moment in higher red has come about because of the struggle of our people. Mm. So how could we not be accountable to our people in our scholarship and fight fiercely for our people in our scholarly yeah. works? Like what's the point of us being there mm. if we we're going to just be like mm. the white anthropologist, mm. criminologist, yeah. epidemiologist? Yeah. Like, and, and that's
2: that's another thing I think about when, when you mm. use that term, nerds on the front line, is also to think about um, and the... the Research as part of the broader struggle um, is that, you know, is, is also seeing, yeah, research is not intins- intrinsically good or, or neutral, especially when it's, mm. when, when, when it, that it, all research takes place in a, um, in, in a political, in, 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 in settler colonial society like Australia. That, um, yeah, objectivity um, is a violent so... stance. Mm. Exactly. That yeah. is,
1: um, you know, cast as scientifically rigorous. And it's not, it's violent. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I drew my inspiration, I think, through the course of my career from um, Indigenous artists, certainly Proper Now Collective. And Mm. we've yarned about this before, like, you know, there was this whole regulating of what, uh, what Indigenous art was. And, you know, shout out Mm. to Richard Bell's, Bell's Theorem uh, Mm. in rejecting, Mm. uh, you know, saying Aboriginal art is a white thing and rejecting and creating a space for Aboriginal artists to be black on their terms. And rejecting what the market and the industry was insisting they perform as. And it was through that forming of collectives that they really had their their strength and power. Mm. And that influenced us in terms of finding like-minded people who sat at the margins of these sandstones Mm. that despite our academic excellence were still being punished and and demonised as bad scholars by Mm. mediocre ones who don't have a track record. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Um, and this is the thing I think that's disappointed me in our indigenising moment in higher ed is the push for mob to enter into the academy to become administrators and not independent scholars. And there's not there's anything wrong with Mm. moving into a management position, um, but and and they're lucrative positions. Mm. um, But we've seen this, you know, uh, people getting PhDs and moving into management positions in the academy without having supervised to completion. PhD students or Mm. been a first sole author of any academic work or Mm. led anything intellectually. And I think there is a danger that in the academy of all places, that indigenous scholarship isn't being supported. Instead, they want indigenous overseers Mm. of indigenous Mm. knowledge production. And I've, I've certainly felt the violence of a whole range of that across, you know, a number of institutions. Um, mm-hmm. which yeah. we can't talk about, you know, it's a challenge you want to speak about publicly, but it's a thing.
2: Yeah. Mm. Um, mm.
0: Yeah. Indi- indigenous intellects being diverted into administration. So much is lost um, in terms of theorising about this place and, um, that we'll never get to see, we'll never get to read, never get to hear.
2: And it's so important because, like, in, just thinking about the, the areas that I write in. So, as I said, policing studies, that's a, that's a key example. Like, most of the policing studies and policing histories that exist here are just false. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes for school curricula, but also the university research that's being produced. Most people still write about about the police as though it was, you know, invented by Sir Robert Peel and the Mm. Friendly Bobbies in um, 1829, but um, the the true history of the police predates that by 50 years and Mm -hmm. the police has always been about um, securing white property Um, Mm. and the true true history of the police involves the West India Committee that, um, that, that funded the entire service um, and they were only interested in making sure that the sugar that was being produced from the plantations in the Caribbean that they owned wasn't being um, stolen by the, the the workers, and that's why they set, a, a, set up this Thames River Police to try and um, um, to try and stop sugar being um, um, sugar theft from on, on and off the docks. In, and that's that's the true. His, that's the that's yeah. how the, the sort of appeals-friendly bobbies came to to exist was because for 50 years there was this service that was funded by the West India Plantation um, Committee, um, funded entirely by them t- for that for the, that sole purpose. Which and I think once once um, you can understand policing as um, as as um, in that way, then um, it it makes you know it certainly is is true in Australia as well where. Um, you know, we know the, the true history of police, but that isn't translated into university education or into sc- school education. Mm. No one in the Australian police service, no one in Australian schools learns about how the last massacres took place in the 20th century, the last massacres that were directly assisted by the police, that were directly conducted by, by the police. This is just not part of the curriculum. And um, I, I think... Um, Yeah, there's just examples like that in, like, don't even get me started on law. Um, (laughs) um, In defence of black nerds on the front line, this is the power of black
1: scholarship. Because the other threat to me to um, black scholarship is this practice of, particularly for early career academics, of having non-Indigenous scholars uh, attach you to their research or to Mm. to be an accessory to white knowing, to be the co-author or co-sign on racialized knowledge production and it is a common practice, you know, just put one black person on a research grant or a paper and say this, tell the same old story. And the power of black knowing is what we bring to these spaces, not in the authority of our indigeneity for me, because it's not to say, well, I'm black, so I know all things black, but much like your thinking as a checkout chick from, and, and your experience, we come to these places to ask different questions because of our standpoint, because of our experience of the world, that we know there are other questions to ask, Um, that we're not just going to accept things at face value because we know that's not the truth. Um, And so there's this interesting thing around, I think there's a whole lot of talk, particularly in the space that we work in around lived experience. Um, And, Mm -hmm. and we have discussions about indigenous standpoint. And I think we need to yarn more about, That, um, Mm. I have experiences, but I cannot universalize that experience as to be the of all the experiences associated with it. I come with a vantage point, um, and I'm, I'm honest about, um, in ways that people go, shouldn't tell tell everyone that part. But for me, it's about mm-hmm. the the transparency around Indigenous knowledge production, that we have to explain our relationship to the knowledge that we're producing, not yeah. to be an authority on it, but to show people how we came to understand it in that particular way. And that yeah. there can be multiple ways of knowing things
2: that can coexist yeah. alongside of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the university, you know, it values certain things like... Um, you know, as you say, univer- universality, mm-hmm. you know, they want the desire to universalize everything, the the desire to quantify everything, the um, other values. But um, um, I think, yeah, that's been a part of it. the challenge for me is realising, as I said, that the, the university is a crime scene and it's not necessarily a, a, a corporation that shares the same values that I do. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
2: but mm. um it's certainly certain, it's very frustrating for me uh, i think one one thing that i get frustrated by is that i can see the potential for um certain disciplines for example that's that's part of what interested me in criminology in the first place is that the first lesson you learn is that crime is a social construct mm. so mm. that was really you know um mind um that re- that, that was really in- inspirational for me because it it opens up a whole lot of ways of thinking you know that um, land theft as a crime, ecocide as a crime, family policing as a crime. Um, this is a really useful way of framing research and and studies, and it's a really productive way of frame, framing things. But unfortunately, um, you know, ninety nine percent of the work that's being produced is just whitewashed and elitist garbage. Um, mm. Sorry to put it bluntly. Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: I'm, look, I'm curious, Samanda, how um, you know you experienced these institutions, both in undergrad and postgrad and and working as Mm. an academic in being able to refuse that disciplinary knowing, because, Mm. you know, we have mob who come to um, academic institutions with their embodied knowledge uh, Mm. and having different questions to ask of the world, but who soon become disciplined by the disciplines that they're Mm. trained in, Um, Mm. and, you know, we often encounter them at various parts in their journey where they're like, ah, I bought into it, you know, and and are grappling with this stuff. In the course of your journey, how, what, I mean, for me, it was, I had a black learning environment in my undergrad, so it was all black fellas, Mm. and I credit my fellow students as being what held me and what shaped the kind of academic I became because of that experience. What was it for you that has held you to, to, to... you Know in the face of isolation and demonization and all that stuff, mm-hmm. what has held you the, that stance of refusal yeah. or buying into it?
2: Um, I probably should probably credit um, distinguished Professor Larissa Barrent. Oh, um, I love and her. The Jumbunna, um, <laughs> the Institute for Indigenous Education and Learning. I've um been spent time in like a number of higher education institutions, I've been at you know, UNSW and Sydney and. Um, I had terrible times in these places mm. um, and that's, you know, as I said, I've quit a number of times or as Larissa tells me, I should frame it, I've had breaks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the time I do see it as quitting academia, you know, like yeah. um, and that's the time when I wrote my fake journal and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, that's as a way of trying to see some of the humour in the situation um, and um, um yeah, and for those who don't know, that's one of the few things I have written that I am proud of is my fake journal of Aussie criminology, oh, okay. which is a satirical <laughs> journal, um, which kind of takes the Mickey out of some of the the articles that I've been um, criticizing so far. Like there's a like, there's a type of article that that finds mm-hmm. finds you know particular kind of prominence in these these fancy journals, and the purpose of the satirical journal was to kind of yeah to t- kind of um, make light of them and to to dissect the methodology. So, so you could see how silly it really was. It uh, really is. And how, 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 stu- how just, as you said, mediocre mm. Chelsea, I think yeah. is the word that springs to <laughs> mind. They're not yeah. even smart. Like, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. They're just nepo babies. But in academy, <laughs> yeah.
1: I want to come back to the journal. Um, but I was, I just want to, yeah, take a moment for distinguished professor, Larissa Brent, mm. you yes. know, she is iconic and not just because of her style, but her spirit. Mm. Um, I know yeah. so many mob in the academy who she has made time for, even though we have no actual relationship with whatsoever, it's not an, mm. she has no need to cultivate a relationship with, but genuinely cares, um, yeah. and is supportive of scholarship that looks different to what she's done without yeah. seeing as a threat to her standing. Yeah. Absolutely. Like to me, she's my, um, you know, I hate black role models, <laughs> but, um, she has been someone for me in the face of all the pressure of the various, you know, um, overseers that were supposedly cultivating my career, but exercising violence, she was the shining light. Cause I was like, she writes fiction. She makes mm. documentaries. She did the review of higher education. Yep. Um, she took on Bolt, like yep. she was everything. She won that all case at once yeah. and won the case, yeah. you know, yeah. and the, and just, and sh- the generosity of spirit in the midst of all of, all of the stuff. And she copped it too, from her peers, yeah. um, from Blackfellas in the Academy. They came for mm. her very publicly. She copped yeah. it from the Australian and yeah. the way in which she holds herself and holds mob in the Academy. I'm just like, I'm so grateful that she, she yeah. was there, um, and is there, for, um,
2: yeah. yeah and anyway, I don't that's... I'm the same I <laughs> echo every 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 word you've just said there Chelsea and I wouldn't be here without her Mm, bless.
1: Yeah. But let's get to this journal. See, uh, the other thing I love about you, Amanda, because um, on Twitter, when Twitter was actually fun, mm. um, can we talk about being an academic and social media use and yeah. how you play um, with it? I
2: get in trouble with it. <laughs> not, I'm having a really? from it at the moment <laughs> on the advice of um, someone from within the university who's, again, this is my other, in addition to HR complaints, um, <laughs> which I've received a lot of, I also get a lot of defamation threats.
1: You're in good company, um, Amanda. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm having a bit of a break from social media at the moment um, due to some things that I've said that may have been defamatory. Um, um, Look, if but, they're true, um, then that truth is a, a <laughs> justification, yeah. but yeah. apparently it doesn't work when it comes to <laughs> <No>. like, academics. <laughs> In academic freedom is one of the values of the university, but as you say, Chelsea, it doesn't always extend mm. um, to us. Yeah. I've had
1: to pull out the charter a few times yeah. uh, that we've signed up to go. Well, before we have this meeting, can we just make sure that it's aligns with this. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But it's um yeah, it's really something the complaints and the the defamation threats just I think cuz people who know me personally know that it's really just they just know how silly it is that the idea of me being a bully. Um, <laughs> but- <laughs> But that's just to be just I'm not supposed to talk about the substance of the complaints, no. but just I have received numerous complaints against me on the grounds of bullying. And mm. um, I do see that personally just at, at this stage, at this point of the game in terms of the number of the complaints and the substance of them, just to say in general terms that um, just how ridiculous they are and they're more a reflection of um, white fragility than mm. than anything else. Like I really just see these complaints as being everyday issues that have arose in the course of me um, challenging a mediocre academic about um, perhaps their course curriculum or challenging the appropriateness of uh, a course curricula that, that doesn't include Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander readings, you know, just um, challenging other kind of racist stereotypes that have no place in contemporary curricula, you know, like I just see it squarely as doing my job um, and exercising kind of some care and responsibility for students in the class cuz students should should be in a learning environment where it's free of racial stereotypes and well, well that's and right pre- i mean
1: when when you when you put it out there it's because you're actually thinking about our duty of care to our students. Um, mm. And so, but you get cast as the, the violent one, not yeah. the, the actual perpetrator. Um, the bully, and, yeah. and people don't realise that. I think, you know, certainly um, in my use of social media, going back probably a few years back when in the midst of all of the nonsense, was that it's not as though we didn't, you know, turn up to the committee meetings, you know, the teaching and learning committee meeting, or, mm. you know, have the polite conversations with colleagues and the educative. Mm-hmm approach and gave s- solutions and strategies and did the work for them to help them be less violent um it's not like we didn't we went straight to you know twitter um to roast someone no it was as a result of all of this
2: refusal um and Abs- absolutely and usually like in the a, in a context where you know we're showing some uh, quite a significant degree of restraint Ah.
1: Oh. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I remember during Black Lives Matter and being in a social science faculty where the criminologists were, um, instead of like, what should we do in this moment and et cetera, were Mm. communicating in a group email about the well-meaning police in the US who, who took a knee and stuff. And they're all having this wonderful conversation and, you know, I'm I'm there. I mean, I'm not on the same floor as them. I'm in some, me and Dave are in some obscure mm. buildings, um, but like, are we supposed to say
2: nothing.
0: Mm. Mm. I think that's the the idea, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, your place. Yeah,
2: it's the um. There's not. I'm not. I'm not good with words, but just yeah. There's something about the. The violence of civility in those contexts mm. that that you're expected to, to to stay silent and 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 not rock the boat or ruffle any feathers. I
1: mean, in the midst of this rallies of blackfellas being shot on the streets, mm-hmm. and then the criminologists in their Black Lives Matter moment mm. are glorifying mm. police in the US. Mm. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, can we talk about... I'm
2: not at all surprised, um, (laughs) yeah, I'm not at all surprised, like, Australian criminology is, is something else, I have to say, yeah, it's not a competition, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I my war with Australian criminology has, has has been going on for several years now and I don't see them as actually capable of reforming themselves. Oh, they don't want to. No. Um,
1: yeah. And,
2: I mean, I'm not a criminologist.
1: I just, um, but I have some things to say about criminology. Um, just as an outside observer or someone who, you know, occupied kind of a space amongst them in one of my, mm. one of the stints that we had where we got shifted around the university. And, um, yeah. And what struck me was, you know, people protest the police and rightly so. Um, but when we talk about abolition, we've got to abolish criminology. Yeah. Mm. It's mm. the machine. I mean, it's, we, it's the machine that creates the, they, they the, literally the... have cops in the corridors, corridors. like that mm. get, the, 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 there was a police officer who had an office on the floor in the department. And me and David with mm. our research grant, yep. there wasn't room for. Yep. But there's, there's always there's, a room for a cop police, in criminology. There's
2: police officers who are industry professors at some Australian oh, universities. Mm. Um, there's, there's police It's next level coffee are, with cops, isn't it? There's <laughs> police officers who are chairs of criminal entire criminology departments. Um, and um, it just beggars belief. I, I can't understand it.
0: Mm. And I've noticed that uh, whenever there are academic Positions advertised, and we know that those are few and far between. They always seem mm. to be in criminology. Mm. Uh, why is it a growth area? Well, of course, it's an arm <laughs> of the <colony. laughs> Because it's,
2: it's something to to do with the prison industrial complex yeah. and the university industrial complex, and there's a someone needs to create a a, a Frankenstein word there to to incorporate in, to I think the phenomenon that's happening is both of them, mm. you know, that there's 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 the rise of and proliferation of police, um, re- police university research, and there's lots of lucrative contracts for those who are willing to partner with um, the carceral state. Mm.
1: And 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 this is what I see as our responsibility as Black academics in this space. You know, the Indigenous education is a is a big industry, and mm. we have these Indigenous foundations and stuff yeah. to send our kids to school and um, you know, tertiary aspirations programs and, um, you know, getting them to, 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 go to university and we have a responsibility to be honest about these institutions and education. I, you know, I'm a nerd. I love reading and thinking. I lo- I feel very privileged and grateful that that's my job doing something that I love and believe in. So I'm, I don't want to like Likewise. discount mm-hmm. that, um, but education for black blackfellas in these institutions can either be assimilatory or emancipatory. And it, what worries me is in much of the indigenous education agendas, it has this missionary zeal to educate mm. the natives about what's wrong with them in order to save them. Mm. And we want our mob to go into educational institutions to rip it apart raided yep. of its resources, um, uh, call out its fake authority, call yep. out its violence. And I would like to see more of our leading Indigenous academics really encouraging our uh, young people, old people, whoever wants to come into these spaces and support them to do that kind of work, because it's really hard work. It won't get you fast track to professor. It won't get you fast track to a management position, but we need it. Mm. Um, because these institutions, are that make possible all of the violence that our people experience it, mm. they're the very foundation of it. They're not the solution mm. to it. Mm. And, you know, I had around with, um, Quatsif up here in Queensland, they didn't mm-hmm. give all our stolen wages back to our elders. Right. And, um, so they set up this fund to, for scholarships for indigenous kids in high school, which, you know, sounds great. Um, mm. But recently they were, or they have been a few times now, promoting uh, careers for Indigenous kids in the Defence Force. Right. I mean, that's not problematic at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there was a sort of uh, someone questioned, just questioned, was this funded by that foundation or what? And then they were just really arrogant about it and then boasted how many kids they've given scholarships to to save them kind of thing. Mm. And I... Infuriates me as a black nerd that, um, there are people using education as, um, in in such a violent way and, and not seeing it for the possibilities that it can offer
2: um, and should offer, Mm. um, in such a violent and deficit way.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It infuriates me as a, as a nerd as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I love the way your work, Amanda, also reaches out uh, to POC communities as well. Um, you've been a staunch advocate through your work. Some of the most notorious criminological papers in recent memory mm. have come out, and you've been out there critiquing them, criticising them, holding them to account. Oh, thank you. Thank uh, you. That
2: means so much coming from you. Oh, no, <laughs> you know, and I've taken and it, so
0: much inspiration and, yeah,
2: uh, But. you. Fr- uh, I think that's the only thing I'd say is that it's, it's the mediocrity of, of the work that mm. really surprises me. I can't believe that in, in many cases it's the, the catalyst for writing it is that, some, that the, the article is epistemically violent or mm. that it, it's prejudicial or it contains stereotypes or it's problematic in some other way. But um, more, most of the time, I'm just gen, gen, genuinely shocked that it got published in the mm. first place. That um, some of this, some of the work that I've critiqued recently has just been so methodologically flawed, um, and I'm saying that intentionally methodologically flawed. Um, <laughs>
1: I mean, so what, I, just,
2: what I do love you, about your amend and what I. think I've... That was, that I attract that, that saying that, some, that an article was methodologically flawed was grounds for one of the defamation cases. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm laughing to myself right now is that one of the def- I, I've said that I've received a few defamation threats and one of them was for saying that an, a tweet where I wrote that an article was methodologically flawed. So I just, I like to say it slowly and um, <laughs> take every
1: take syllable. Great
2: since it was, since we once, since I got cleared cleared of that case and that wow. um, was shown not to be defamatory.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow.
1: I mean, one of the things I love about you as a person and um, as a scholar is, you know, there's, I'm not sure it's a contradiction, but I say in good ways because I relate to it, is, you know, you're such quiet, unassuming, <laughs> ridiculously humble, you know, person, yeah um, it just does the work and and having worked with you, I've seen the, the level of work you do and the attention to detail. Like I'm just, I'm in awe of that. Um, and, and in terms of your scholarship though, it hits, it hits. And I know that feeling of, um, you know, I'm an introvert and people go, no, you're not, you, you know, you're out there. I'm like, no, no, I'm an introvert and I'm, very focused and I believe if it's right, it's right, if it's wrong, it's wrong and that's I'm just going to call it out. And not because I'm trying to think you just know it's wrong and maybe that's something to be said for people on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, like it's not that you want to be cast as, um, you know, a troublemaker because that's what your whole identity is around. In fact, it's not what comes naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you see
2: some you know, that the need to call it out. Absolutely, very much so. I relate so much to what you're saying.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you call it out, boy, Amanda, do you call it out. I remember there was something <laughs> we wrote and you were referring to this policing thesis of a few bad apples and you went, no, it's the whole damn orchard. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. I loved oh, it so you. much. Um, yeah. I love your work, Amanda, honestly. And
2: thank you. But I'm, I'm, I'm so flattered. You can't by, see Amanda like, right now, but uh, <laughs> blushing I'm going, I'm going
1: red. <laughs> Very. <laughs> um, but the other thing I, I really enjoyed, um, you know, because most of us are isolated in our own institutions mm. and, and, you know, dealing daily with death ray threats, complaints, all of that stuff. Um, and hence why that community of like-minded black scholars is so important. Wherever oh. we exist, we have these ways to connect and um feel human for a minute. Um, but what I've also really valued is that the, the joy that you found in the fight, Mm. um, that, that journal, uh, that, Mm. you know, and it did some things. It wasn't (laughs) just, you know, for the fun of it. It did. So it, it, it really uh, disturbed a whole lot of Female white criminologist. So that's,
2: that's it's a good it's good to see these things as 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 what you're saying, Chelsea KPIs or <laughs> non non-conventional outputs. That you know it's it it is good. I it, you know it was the subject of a um you know the gen they had a general meeting over mm-hmm. it and you know it's yep. good to be the you know the the black speed bump as you yeah. say, <laughs> yeah.
1: And um, that's what I'm trying to encourage. You know, for those that are coming through an early career, is is that you know. As much as we might be chastised by some settlers, scholars about finding glee in certain moments, I insist on finding joy in the work. I spend a lot of my time doing it and I want to have fun doing it because there is a whole lot of stuff that is outrageous, that is unjust, that is heartbreaking. And uh, Mm. and I know you know what that feels like and and I know you've had to do it alone. and I'm speaking about those coronal inquests. Mm. Um, of going through the full brief of evidence um, to explain um, what's happened to mob who have been murdered at the hands of the state. And, you know, um, I I still, I mean, we worked together on one, but I just can't imagine how you've done that work Mm. on your own um, because... um, you know, we know how hard that work is, how heartbreaking the work is. And I there was one year we worked on two in the same year mm. outside of our day job. And, um, you know, so, yeah, if I, if I can't get justice, I'm going to find some joy um, and find ways to keep doing the work and keep sane in the process and. Mm. Um, and full, experience the full range of emotions. So, we talk about, you know, find there's joy in black knowing. And yeah. we believe that
2: we have the right to experience the full range of emotions in our knowing. Mm. I, I love what you're saying about joy in knowing and just, and just also what you said at the beginning about justice in knowing. And I think for me, what's also important is the quest for accountability yep. um, in knowing and holding people to account, whether it's a, 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 a methodologically flawed journal article whether it's an article that perpetuates racist stereotypes or whether it's um, cases, um, you know, bereaved families that, um, that are still seeking, seeking justice and accountability for their loved ones.
1: And, you know, in defence of the black nerd on the front line, it's not bullying when you're punching up hmm. mm. um, because that's what much of the work is. And, you know, oftentimes we can't get justice in the legal system for the, m- the most part of it. But for me, there's a sense of justice in having our account on the record, having it validated. And I know working with mob who we work with to tell their story, that despite what their institutions will say about them, their story is on the record, their account of things. And there's a justice in that. And we have a responsibility to our mob to make sure our story is told on our terms um, and not buy into Mm. um,
2: the the script we've been cast in. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I think that work, the, the inquest work that I do, is it, it, it is really challenging and sometimes I question my sanity to be doing mm. it on my own. Yeah. Um, whether that's feasible going forward, I'm not sure if it is, to it's be honest. It's not, Dr. Porter. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good ways.
1: It's oh. not. Yeah. And, you know, and they'll use um, the the collaboration um, as a way to weaken mm. the legitimacy of those reports. And, you know, and you know, we've seen the tactics um, mm. these violent institutions use exactly. to... Um, erase the scholarship, even though we've come with the receipts, and they're, you know, we use their own words if their are mm. evidence, not ours. Mm. Um, um, and uh, it's been interesting, like even developing methodology for how we hold the state accountable. And um, you know, we've moved away from bearing our people's wounds to appeal for justice, to actually making visible the violence of these institutions to hold them accountable. And this is where I think black scholarship, whether you're in health or whatever, Hmm. we need to make that shift away from if we just show them how good we are or we just tell them the trauma we experience that somehow someone's going to grant us our humanity or see us as Hmm. human. We know that doesn't work. It does a violence to ourselves. Um, And I'm really excited by um, the scholars that are shifting the gaze away from Um, our behaviours, criminogenic or otherwise, to reveal the machinery and the violence of settler-clonal institutions, um, whether it's health, legal, whatever. And um, I think that's what keeps me in the academy is in terms of the work that's to come through and how we support our undergrads, our postgrads to come with that same insistence, that Uh same, um, yeah, motivation.
0: Uh Uh
1: Because we need more doing it. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah. And that, I mean, that cronial work that we do, um, it takes a toll, as as you guys know. Um, and yet, I mean, there was a th- there was a theorist in the UK, Sivan Enden, who said that the conceptual and theoretical leaps occur when you channel communities experiences. And mm-hmm. I think that we've made those leaps. We can't always disclose what those leaps look no. like. Uh, we'll find a way. It's coming. But black knowing mm. is, it's certainly, it's alive and well. And one day, one day, we'll let others know how we came to our conclusions. One day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We just weren't the legal ma- means <laughs> by which we can do that. <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> We won't watch this space. Yes.
1: I mean, I, I laugh and I, you know, I'm, there's, I, I don't think there's a lot of work that we do these days, David, that doesn't need a uh, defo read on it. Mm. You know, yeah. the, the white scholar will do a get peer review and we oh. will do that, yeah. have to do that too. But there's another process we go through, well, or oh. processes oh. with oh. mob, making sure um, the how and what we're saying is appropriate and right oh. and reflects, yeah. um, you know, what they want to tell um, but then there's the legal side of what we can get away with telling as well. Yeah. Um, but I actually, we just now go into that knowing that that's part of the process. Mm. Yeah. If you're going if you're engaged in scholarship, that's going to make a difference. It's going to have some sort of impact. Well, mm. then you've got to strategize for the, the legal threats and also the, even if you get it through, how they're going to come back for you. Mm. Yeah. Because I know in my case, when the QPS, you know, got off on not being seen as racist, um, in my arrest, uh, that wasn't enough for them. They came for costs in a no cost That's jurisdiction right. and got money based on the fact that I dared tell in three yeah. pages of a 200 word book. Infuriating. That I dared even yeah. speak. So they still come for you, even after yeah. you've cleared all those hurdles. And it's, to me, it's just, how do we build up and share those skills and, um, support each other in that work? Yeah. <sighs> I could yarn all day with you, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> um, you need to come back on the show cause I, yes. as, as things play out and as we work out how we get to speak about some of the work, um, we'd really love you to have, have, have you back to share some of mm. that with us. Cause yeah. yeah, there's a whole lot here we have had to talk around and not about.
2: Yeah, mm. I know there's, it makes it hard when you're a bit gagged, um, mm. well, not yeah. a bit gagged,
0: gagged.
1: <laughs> gagged. I might leave last word with you, Amanda. I was, I was yeah. reflecting during this show about some of the bad advice or instructions that I received coming through um if you think about talking to I got lots of that too we all know it um (laughs) if you were to talk to um black fellas who are thinking about an academic career or in the midst of their PhD what's what's the sort of most important advice you would like to give to them
2: I'll just do it and um, I can't encourage it enough just and not to, one thing I really regret is how intimidated I was going through by all of the, you know, um, the, the the professors and the, you know, silly conventions of academia but um, I just think as I said it's um, uh, it's one of the things that keeps me going is that just seeing the, the, the strengths and the intellect of the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and nice. just wanted to do a particular shout out to Natalie Ironfeld and to um, so many others, mm-hmm. um, students that are kind of coming through and doing work that just runs, um, runs rounds around my own work. And um, it's really encouraging to see. And um, I think, yeah, again, academia is just nothing to be, um, intimidated by is a lot of academics who most most academics in um in many of the places I've worked are just um sons and daughters of academics and Mm. um Mm -hmm. uh it's and that's I think you know as I said as we've been talking about throughout the course of the um segment um a lot of the work that's produced is incredibly incredible in the sense of its mediocrity (laughs) (laughs) um so um Come along and and, um, um, and pursue your research and, and interests and strengths and there's a, a place for you on the front line. Mm-hmm.
1: Hey. Thank you so much, Associate Professor Amanda Porter. We'll yarn you again soon. Yeah, thank you.
2: Thank you so much. No more whispering
0: in our mind. Let's talk Monday to Friday at 9am no on AAA Murray Country, the National Indigenous Radio Service and iHeartRadio. You can catch up on aaa.org.au, proudly supported by the Community Broadcast Foundation.